You are listening to Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. I love a great story. And in season two, Meet the Environmentalists, I will be having coffee with pioneers, game changers, leaders, and entrepreneurs who are truly making a difference in our world. I hope you can join us each week to hear about their fascinating and inspiring journeys. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Double Espresso with D, season two, The Environmentalists. It's very exciting. I am so, so happy today to have an incredible guest with me, the spectacular Amani Kifal Mariam. Amani, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am very well, Dee. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm a, a big fan of Double Espresso. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm I'm really excited for you to share your story with a wider audience because it's really incredible. So, Amani, just as a little preamble, I'm just going to make a few little uh, footnotes to the journey so far. Um, you are Ethiopian by heritage, and quite some time ago, at the very young age of nine, you came to the UK and went down many roads and had many experiences and. You became the first member of your family to go to university, qualified as a lawyer, no mean feat, and went into the fast lane world of banking, uh, where you've spent quite a number of years. Latterly, you worked in a major global institution as head of risk and control in the division leading the impact investing and ESG, so environmental, social and governance strategy, of which you were all over. And that was very much a big theme and very important for you, not just in work, but in life. I know you were also instrumental in that institution in driving the whole BAME narrative, the network, the connections and more hiring of that community in its widest sense into the organization. And we will revisit that. So, Amani, when we spoke a little while ago, you told me that some years ago you started reflecting whilst working incredibly intensely in banking on your purpose and the things that really fundamentally mattered to you. So how you could live in a more sustainable, environmentally friendly way, how that could translate even further into your work practices, um, the influence of your incredibly rich heritage and the land you come from. So that led you to today being the founder and CEO of Amate, which is a premium brand established in the UK, although I know you operate internationally. And I guess the origin was really, you know, the first brand you've launched is Amate Coffee, which of course makes me beyond excited. <laughs> um, and Ethiopia is considered by many or the Ethiopian plateau as the birthplace of coffee. So that is the first brand that you have launched. You're partnering with small lot female farmers to ethically source the finest coffees and to create a circular economy on the ground. And since launch, you've been recognized in many publications from London Coffee Festival to Sunday Times. Uh, Caffeine Magazine, the one and only, uh, has recognized Amate as the new coffee brand to watch and awarded your product's best prize for coffee. So I could go on. It's super exciting. Um, there's much to cover with you, of course, but I'd love to start at, um, you know, where the whole idea of coffee started for you when you were at that time working in banking, trying to work out the next steps. Take us to that point. What was going on with you? Absolutely. Um, so I am originally from Eritrea and Ethiopia. Eritrea used to be part of Ethiopia um, until exactly. 19 
Well, so we, I grew up, I'm one of five children and uh, the youngest, and I grew up with my grandmother, Amate. It's the reason I actually named the business Amate. Beautiful. Um, thank you to lead, uh, which means to lead by example. And so I grew up with, with coffee. I grew up making coffee for my grandmother um, in the Habesha culture, which is uh, kind of Ethiopian era trends are referred to as the Habesha. Yes. Um, the youngest of uh, of all the females in the house actually makes the coffee for the elders. Right. And coffee was discovered in the ninth century in Ethiopia, and initially by this goat herder. Actually, was he was out with his goats? That's the kind of legend and the story. And then he brought it back to the village, where the monks started drinking, actually eating the coffee kind of leaves they didn't know that you could actually roast it and have it as a beverage but they used it to uh, be awake and so all the story the actual traditional the ritual of coffee traditional coffee ceremony it's something that I grew up with and it's more than just a beverage it's really a way of connecting it's a way of asking for um, someone's hands in marriage uh, resolving conflict Um, so this is kind of the history so I grew up with this and then it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, I would interject to say that it's this whole idea of, um, well, a couple of things come to mind to me. It's about exchange, you know, exchange and engagement together. You know, those conversations that take place over coffee, those decisions that get made over coffee, to your point of, you know, conflicts that might get resolved. It's also the whole notion, which I love in life of rites and rituals. Yeah, You know, it's not just charging down High Street Kensington, you know, knocking back your coffee. It is taking the time, you know, cherishing that moment and really um, consuming something of value, which has a history behind it, which has a narrative, uh, which has a a symbolism in a way, which I think you've also reflected in what you've done subsequently. Exactly. Um, And so, you know, the way I describe it is similar to the Japanese tea ceremony (laughs) because it can take up to three to four hours and usually right. have it twice a day. But in terms of my purpose, it was actually whilst I was at Credit Suisse where I spent six years, um, just had a moment. I think my entire life, all I've tried to do as a first who went to university, my household is really to kind of make my family proud to do right. the legal route. Then I went into banking and I, went, I never really paused to know myself my purpose, who I am, what actually makes me happy versus just ticking the box and going to the next stage, emotion-wise, you know, just financial stability, et cetera. And then I just had a moment where I felt, you know, who am I and what is my purpose and what actually makes me happy? And started going back to the memories that I kind of had with my grandmother because I grew up with um, very strong females across, like, my kind of family, my sister, my mother, my grandmother, my mother was the breadwinner and my grandmother would be the one who actually raised us. Right. So we didn't love my mom as much until my grandmother passed away. Back in 2007, we started having a new relationship <laughs> with my mother. Um, but essentially, I wanted to have something. I wanted to create something that would give back to those women you know, who have really invested in me in terms of the right. qualities that I have, the values that I have. So I went back to Ethiopia and for a family friend, understood, okay, so I want to do something that's going to positively impact women. How was Ethiopia? I mean, how was it for you? Because you had left as a child and obviously grown up with these incredibly profound, fundamental and um, 
you know, lifelong, life-changing role models and members of your family who were with you. But how was that going back as an adult, you know, who had to some degree been westernized to a very different setup, a very different environment at every level? It, it was such a, an incredible experience to just be, you know, able to go and meet these women, um, most of them. So when it comes to agriculture and particular coffee, 70% of the work on the ground is done by women. And some parts of Africa, it's actually up to 90%. And so just connecting with these people and just seeing that actually they have so little, yet they are so rich. Not rich, they have a big <laughs> bank account. Right. But they are so rich and they just don't know what else to offer you. They offer you everything they have, whether it's food or drink, just, you know, and it's just, it was connecting with that part that I grew up with. It was just seeing everything that, because I, when we left, um, I was, when we left Eritrea, or we used to be at that time, mm. we actually went to a place called Sudan. Yes. <laughs> I grew up about 10 minutes, uh, 10 minutes from the sea smelling the red sea the red uh, the salt from the red sea it's funny those memories isn't it the smells and the sounds and things that really stay with you right yeah and so my culture is very you know it's it was also this kind of identifying my identity who am I so I my mother tongue is Arabic I have this Ethiopian side I have this Eritrean side and I'm also British and so who am I and what do I actually stand for so it allowed me to really kind of reconnect with you know, my identity um, to understand. So, okay, you know, I deeply care about women. I want to be able to positively impact, especially in agriculture, because I just, I grew up with that, even like farming. My grandmother would go and farm her own. She has, she had she used to have a small farm. I just grew up with nature. I appreciate nature. Yes. If you ask me what makes you happy, like a cup of coffee, hike, just let me go into the wild. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm ready for Ethiopia with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's so much history. It's thousands of years of history as well. Um, first human, Lucy was founded there, you know, coffee. And not many people know coffee was discovered in Ethiopia. That's and true. Like Dee, and she's a coffee expert. And <laughs> coffee. Um, there's a lot. It was also just looking at it. Okay, so this is the problem. You know, what is the problem I'm trying to resolve? Which is also, as you know, you know, I say all great entrepreneurs think, what, what's, you know, what's the problem I'm solving? What's the need I'm needing? Which is a great starting point because also a problem that you experience in many cases, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially in coffee as well, because it's so competitive. Anybody can get into coffee, but to stay there and to actually succeed, I think it takes a lot. So, so how did you go about that? Because I know, I know also for you, because we, we've discussed this, the whole it wasn't just about setting up a business, something very profound behind getting to this point of wanting to start with coffee, right? Uh, which is very much part of your DNA, frankly. And also the whole supporting the local economy, supporting the land, helping create systems to ensure a circular economy. So with all those things that are imbued in you, you know, as a human being, as a woman, and also professionally in your life and in finance as well, you know, the kind of longevity, supporting the environment, being environmentally diligent and responsible and putting systems in place that will support the environment and the community ongoing. So how do you start that path concretely for the business? Absolutely. So I, I spent quite a bit of time doing research, um, going into like visiting some parts of Africa, um, mainly back and forth in Ethiopia, just to understand a bit more about the process. What does farming look like? Mm. As we know, up to 90% specifically in that 
location uh, of where men are doing the work. They're getting paid less than a dollar a day. But what else is going on? What's happening with the actual farming piece? Biodiversity, you know, deforestation, all of this stuff that was going on where people were chopping off trees and destroying forests to actually plant coffee. So how do we not do that and still be able to be profitable? How can we um, have a sustainable supply chain? And so for me, it was a lot of research. And then I had the pleasure of working with our current partners called Addis Exporter, who stand as well with sustainability, uh, specifically on the social impact, but also on the environmental impact, where they believe you can actually, biodiversity is the way to protect the land. Absolutely. um, And to have a sustainable um, business model. That's the, the only way to do business is through a sustainable supply chain. And so... Yeah, I had the opportunity to work with them, ended up putting a plan together. So who do we, because there's thousands of farmers. And so where do you start? Which location? So complicated, isn't it, in a way? Yeah, and like in Ethiopia alone, it's 80 tribes, 60 languages. And so I speak Tigrinya, which is the kind of Ethiopian language and also the North Ethiopian language. I understand a bit of Amharic, which is the main Ethiopian language. There's so many more languages than usually in these rural parts. We and don't micro have- farmers, right? And micro plantations. And, yeah, and also, exactly. you know, I think a lot of people start with um, the desire to do the right thing and to support these local micro communities. But commercially, it's very complex. And even, you know, from a supply chain point of view, to your point, like how do you galvanize all of that in a more cohesive format with an architecture which is larger? whilst recognizing all these little micro differences, including their dialects and so forth, to create a business that can work sustainably, right? That's not an easy thing to achieve. Absolutely. And I think just to add on to that, so initially when I was trying to find my purpose, I thought I could find it through supporting orphanages, so giving right. kind of financial support. And I started right. doing that and I realized donations are not really the way to encourage people to be you know, more independent so I thought, okay, I actually need to find to do something that will support people to support themselves. I couldn't agree more. It's the only way. And so that's when I thought, okay, so what can I do? <laughs> what is it that I can do while still holding my full-time job? Because I thought... And I was about to say, I, I mean, literally read my mind. I was about to say, yes, whilst working 23-hour days, you know, yeah. in Canary Wharf and elsewhere globally, how did you do that? I mean, I always think, and, you know, everyone says that you give something to a busy person. I also think when you're passionate about something, you find the time because, you know, you act as opposed to think, you know. But how did you manage that? And also geographically, you weren't. it wasn't just like walking down the road to a meeting no. somewhere else. Exactly. So I... I'm very driven. I am, <laughs> like most of us <laughs> are nowadays. Um, so I thought, okay, I can do this. I can use my 25 days a year to go and visit. So proud of you. My <laughs> <laughs> evenings and weekends to meet clients, to meet investors. I can do this. If I've done yeah. this to get to where I am today, I can definitely yeah. do this. And I, have, I can have a story. And, uh, you know, this is the thing about finance. It's very, it's quite... To leave that salary, it takes a lot of guts because yeah. there's this huge salary that comes in every month. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, what? You're going to sell coffee bags <laughs> like, and leave in banking after all of these years? And they don't understand the passion. Business starts, you sell one by one. You know, it's not, you're not going to be successful on day one. It's 
you know, it takes time, it takes effort. Um, and I'm so, so to that point, uh, when did you tell people, because one of the things that, you know, I, I talk about quite a bit, and also we've talked about on some of our podcasts is, you know, killing an idea. Like if you have an idea and you talk about it too soon, other people will burst that balloon and they will really put smoke behind the idea. Nothing will happen because you can become so discouraged. So it's often the best policy, I believe, to keep your idea to yourself, to do your investigation and so forth. When did you, on your journey, and it was started with coffee, decide to communicate to others what you were up to? And when did you decide to really take the jump or take the leap, as we say? Absolutely. So I, um, it was 2019 when we did a soft launch with just some family and friends and some PR people. And um, so I told people literally about two weeks before that this was going to happen. <laughs> Only because I had to manage so many things. I had to, you know, once if you're working in corporate, in any organization you need to disclose that you have a course. business interest because obviously, yeah, you want to just protect the firm as well um, and to have insights in what you're doing. And so I was doing this with a very small team when I decided I'm going to share it with people. It was very much, first of all, it was whether that person had some type of involvement or needs to have involvement in the business. So right. operation, I would share it with them. But officially it was in 2019. Um, and then COVID happened. And then this year, actually, I think it's because of COVID that I actually had the guts to leave, by the way. I don't think I would have ever had the guts to leave. Right. So what, what promoted that? Was it just, it's now or never in this extraordinary moment in time? What was your, in your heart when you thought, right, this is it, it's now? Well, the, um, so I was going to leave banking back in 2018, just before the launch. I had it all planned out. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> and then the firm found out that I was going to go, and then they kind of sold, you know, spoke to me about this impact investment at ESG new division. And so I interviewed nine rounds in, I got the role, and I thought, actually, I deeply care about impact. So why not do it in a big way? You know, all these like channeling capital for the right cause, why not do it that way versus, you know, starting off small? I can actually have a bigger impact. And so I kind of justified it to myself in that way, if you like, while still running the business on the corner in the, in, on the side of the small team. And then um, during COVID, it allowed me to really see what's important. Just like, actually, what really makes you happy is that your heart is with the business. Yeah, <laughs> because course. the impact you want to make is impact that you can see. And others can see how are you going to make an impact through channeling millions and millions of pounds usually going to private equity firms? Like, how are you going to do that? And it's just, it was just that conversation and the ability to really be honest with myself. Like, you know, can you really run a business doing it part time? I'm not sure many people can. I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen those who've succeeded and I've met, including like really successful entrepreneurs, they've, they've had to make that decision to leave. Yeah. At one point, absolutely, absolutely. And just go for it, you know? Yeah. And so I've had the courage uh, to do that this year. And tell me, tell me, how is it looking today? Because, you know, you went in with big lofty goals, which you strive for on a daily basis. So part of it was, you know, really creating this circular economy locally with all these micro plantations, bringing them together, creating a very high-end beautiful product to take globally, 
right? That would resonate in the developed markets and in the markets in which you wish to be, where you can, uh, you know, drive capital to the and, and traffic to the brand, mm-hmm. um, whilst also being engaged in the local community. How has that been up to this point, given the year that's been? Because I know that over and above all the um, sustainability uh, aspects of this business being run in the right way, ethically, obviously, uh, in a sustainable way, but, you know, from an environmental on the ground in the land perspective, and also in the local communities with, um, you know, working with the orphanages, working with uh, people, getting them into uh, skills training, employment, and so forth. And I'd like to hear a little bit from you on that. What have been the challenges beyond the obvious this year with COVID? So our model is uh, we either deal directly with female farmers or we deal with male farmers. We don't have any problems with men. I always say this. That's great. They're very (laughs) important to us. (laughs) (laughs) But male farmers who empower women and they recognize that women are doing most of the work and they should be paid fairly. And what we do is look at the kind of coffee commodities market and we try to pay our farmers about three to four you know, versus fair trade, which is usually looking at that kind of benchmark, putting a few pence on top. So that's kind of how we try to run it. We've got ESG metrics to see, okay, what impact have we made? This is what we said, how much of that have we actually done? And so um, the first kind of impact is really to pay fairly. And then that's that's the most important thing because that's what you're buying. You need to make sure you pay fair amount <laughs> so that's the first thing the other thing is so we've used um a matter fund to say on top of that what other stuff do we want to do so the, to your point it's invested in local schools whether it's invested towards building a window or the doors or chairs i know it's very small but actually some schools are not open because of that right and so that's the other thing which we did in 2019 right. in 2020 it's been quite challenging for several reasons there's been a in because mainly we've focus in Ethiopia. We still have coffee from Rwanda, Burundi, other parts of Africa, but right. it's been a war, a civil war within Ethiopia. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, not not everyone follows that, you know. I think in the year that's been certain things have been lost. Yeah. You know, and haven't haven't reached the wider community. And that's yeah. obviously been a big one for the nation there. Yeah, exactly. So um we've been in terms of the buying of the coffee, that we still continue to do. But the other plans that we wanted to do in terms of Providing, for example, a nurse, it's not that much here, but you can provide a nurse for $100 a month, basically, for these rural parts. That kind of stuff we have not been able to do. And this is not something that we publicly kind of shared, but it's something that I want to do because for me, you know, equities like supply, um, sustainable supply chains about doing the right thing when no one's looking, you know? Absolutely. It's about trying to just do everything in the best ability that we can, not just tick the box and say, you know, we're doing this so that people can buy the products. This is it's more than that. That's the way I see it. But we still have a lot to do. We haven't done you know, as much as I would like us to do. But I am here now full time. <laughs> I'm building a team, I'm, raising capital. <laughs> oh, Amani, I'm so proud of you. Seriously, you're infectious. You really are. You know, and also you've achieved so much already. And, you you know, it's, sometimes we don't see it because we're in the middle of it, right? Just charging ahead. But you really, really have. And also, given the very adverse circumstances of the past year, even from a logistics point of view, I see with some of the businesses I'm involved in, you know, notably in food and beverage, which is a sector, as you know, I love. You know, there are logistics issues even in Europe, 
right? Getting things around, moving things, not just with Brexit, but because everything slowed up in the past year. What has been um, the biggest setback to you in the build so far, if there were one? (laughs) Um, There's been many challenges. I think for us, it's not been, we were not ready to take advantage of COVID, basically. I think some people did really well. We just didn't. We did okay. And that's because we were not ready. If I had done today, yeah, exactly. It was too soon. In terms of challenges, it's some rural parts. So we have to transport the coffee from some village, like where we, the farms are. To Ethiopia and because of there's been obviously unrest it's kind of very challenging it's scary at times so that's been kind of you know is everything okay what's happening that type of fear but we're very lucky because we have Addis exporter I mention them all the time the reason I do is I think credit should be given to people that have really helped from the beginning before we started anything of course you know they were so surprised to see me that oh my god like we never see people like you it's usually these big to buy like (laughs) we just want to help you (laughs) that's wonderful yeah I think challenge I mean it's that type of stuff it's like transportation making sure people say things are okay that because we have a an importing company again because of the help of Addis Exporter that brings the coffee here so we've been very lucky because sometimes, yeah, God is good. I'm a believer. <laughs> yeah, quite. You've been looked after. And and these are very real challenges. And they're, 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 you know, they're scary, right? It's not just, you know, a truck breaking down whilst transporting. It's situations of um, oppression or war, right? And those are very big ones. So I think we mustn't ignore that. And, and that also makes part of the story even stronger talking about stories I mean you know I love stories I love a great story I love telling a story it's the Irish in me and I think it's also very much part of your culture and you know I know in creating this brand and every permutation that it will go through and all the other offerings that you will bring subsequently to the market some of which are in the pipeline and obviously coffee the big one you started with um you really wanted to talk about the stories the narratives of collectively and perhaps individually of the women in your life you know your family and also many generations culturally pre you in your fabulousness as you stand today and even the names I love the the recognition in in your first line of coffee you know to uh, you know Queen of Sheba and Nefertiti and so forth tell us a little bit about that because this is not just about bringing fabulous premium coffee there is all of that component that you want to share which makes it in my view, even more compelling. It's not just buying the coffee, you're buying the story as such, right? Which I think is also a great brand story and a great lever for marketing a product. How are you, tell me your thinking behind all of that and where you're headed with that. So it was, the the first thing was I want to work in, I want to do something that empowers women generally. You know, we started with East Africa or Africa generally because it's just where I'm originally from. Mm-hmm. That was the first. And the second thing was, okay, looking at the continent, what are the things that I hear which are not true? Because I was there for nine years, um, things like extreme poverty everywhere. First of all, you know, Africa is a continent, as we know. <laughs> and they might first, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you look at, like, places like South Africa, you just – it's, you know, it's so developed and other parts like now West Africa and even East Africa. So, you know, it was, how do I get rid of that stereotype? Can I, how can I tell the rich stories that my grandmother had told me about 
Queen Sheba, the beautiful queen from north of Ethiopia, <laughs> you know, that ruled even up to India. Like, how do I bring that richness? And so I dedicated the first um, collections of coffee, which was almost like a pilot. Let's see, okay, I've got all this research and ideas. Is it actually going to work? Are people willing to pay, you know, this amount for like really good coffee? How is it going to work? Let's do this, but let's go with the kind of telling the rich story of the continent. And that's where Queen Fatiti for Egypt, Queen Sheba Queen, uh, for Ethiopia, Queen Amina for Nigeria, this is where it came in. So the idea is we want to tell the rich story through this collection, the rich story of the uh, African continent, and we're going to use the names and then we'll tell you the story about these names and these kind of women. And we even had um, one for the Emperor's Blend, which is Haile Selassie, the emperor of, you know, then Ethiopia, and he really pushed for education, education for women. And so I wanted to also bring that in. And so, and then the 90 plus, because the coffee cupped at 91. <laughs> it was quite funny because I was speaking to Phil from Caffeine Magazine. It's like, because we won the award. Um, we yes. With blind you. Of course, this Amata coffee that nobody's ever heard of <laughs> winning this. It's interesting, but... Yeah, that's why we named it 90 plus. But everything else is really about, okay, there is this negative stigma around Africa. I want to change that. Let me try and bring this storytelling as part of this ritual, uh, coffee ritual. So, Oh, totally. And I mean, that is, thank you for sharing that with us. It's so beautiful. And um, and it's that story of, of hope, right? And it's that story of getting up and doing something, you know, to your point about orphanages and not just giving money, but actually, you know, working with people so they can work for themselves, giving people an education so they can educate others, giving them a job so they can hire others and so forth. And and, and you are clearly trailblazing there doing this, which is so, so impressive and so exciting. So, Amani, we have to wrap a couple of questions from me. Who would you say or what has been you know, and it may be, you know, your grandmother that you referenced, but who or what has been the biggest influence in your life and what's been the best piece of advice you've been given? I would say I usually quote my grandmother, but that I will say for the coffee question. <laughs> I'm spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> I do listen to every podcast. <laughs> but, um, Thank you. Um, but I would say I would actually give the credit to my mother, who my mother was married off at the age of 13 at that time. It's just the way things work. Unfortunately, her story, I have to write a book on her story. She's absolutely inspiring. But she did did everything she could to give us the best start to life. And one thing she would always tell me, try it. You never know. And if you fail, give it a go, right? Give it a go. You know, she inspires me so much because everything I've done, although she didn't like education, for example, the official university education, I do think she's very much educated in in life, (laughs) you know. Um, But it's like, go for it. And I'm like, but, you know, being a lawyer, for instance, or doing legal, like, nobody's ever done that. And he, you know, when you, I went to a state school, I went to actually um, a girls' school, Catholic girls' school, run by Irish nuns. <laughs> so, Me <yeah>. too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when you get career advice from the career coaches, you know, they say, well, maybe you should do health and social care, or maybe you should do this. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. But I never dreamt big. And she would say, just do it. You just never know. Do it. Work hard. You'll get it. A hundred percent. And I always say to, well, anyone that will listen to me, including my children, like, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And like, you know, what's the worst can happen? You know, the worst is a no or it won't work, but just give it a go, right? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And tell me, 
on the coffee question, my favorite question, who would you have coffee? I know the answer, by the way, but if for everyone else who may not, who would you have coffee with? Anyone past or present that you would you would love to just have that moment with? I would love to have coffee with my grandmother again, actually. You know, um, I think there's just so much unanswered questions <laughs> that I want to ask. But when you're young, you're so, you know, you're, um, I guess, naive. You think they're always going to be there forever. Right. And so, yeah, and so never ask those questions. If I had known, honestly, it was a big shock to me when my grandmother passed away. I just did not. I was like, what do you mean? You know, she's not here anymore. I just couldn't understand it. And this is in 2007. So I was, what was I, about 1920? You know, so still then you think I'd be mature enough. I just could not, I could not handle it. But if I could have coffee with anybody, I would have coffee with her just to ask a bunch of questions well <laughs> so. I'm sure she'd be you know if she were well I'm sure she's looking down on you for starters but I'm sure if she were here she'd be giving you fantastic business advice you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right she'd be on your advisory board exactly. um, <laughs> so Amani we have to wrap but it's been such a joy to see your beautiful face and to be with you and um you are doing incredible things I'm super excited about all that's going on in your life and uh, I can't wait to see how the business evolves and try everything that you come up with and we have to do a trip I've never been to Ethiopia so let's make that happen when we're allowed to move around a bit more freely it'd be beautiful absolutely thank you so much for having me Dee. thank you thank you for joining me on Double Espresso with Dee I hope you enjoyed this episode and can subscribe and share these fascinating stories 